Yeah, that's right, peeps. I am back. I am Guy Tommy. In case you forgot, I'm here with Dan Nathan, and this is Market Call. 11 a.m. Eastern Time, every Thursday, we break down a macro call. We highlight the biggest analyst calls of the week. We have a new best segment, in my opinion. I think Dan's opinion. We're calling it trade-off. And, of course, for you Butters fans out there, and I know there are a lot of you, one for the road. Joining us each week are two banging guests. That's young terminology, by the way. CBW, that, of course, is Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Charting. And Liz Young, L-Y, from SoFi. Today's market call is brought to you by our three presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi. Get your money right, man, all in one app and open exchange because they manage virtual meetings that matter, Dan, for the top companies around the world. Yeah, I'm back. What's going on with you, sucker? We got to get our money right this week, guy. This was an important week in the market here. You know, for, for years and years, we have been conditioned to the notion that, you know, when we start getting tighter monetary policy, we're going to see volatility in the stock market. Well, the frank... To be frank, we've actually seen very little volatility in the stock market. It's just been a slow creep higher. And the volatility, as you've been mentioning for weeks now on the market call, has been in the bond market. (laughs) It's amazing. The volatility in the bond market is, as we sit here, 10-year yields have gone from 161 down to 153. You talk about volatility. That's where your volatility is. But You know, let's bring in L.Y. I think I'm just going to start coining her L.Y. Liz Young is with us. It's great to have you. You penned a great piece. Now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, The pack have been on fire, but their role has been slowed uh, due to the unfortunate situation with Aaron Rodgers. So my question is, you know, the slowing of the role in Green Bay, the Fed seems to be slowing their role as well. Great piece by you, Liz Young. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. It was going well until you started talking about Aaron Rodgers. So let's just <laughs> blow past that. We'll Please. blow past it. But I think I think Jordan Love can do it. So, all right. What happened this week? What happened this week was that in a surprise to absolutely no one, the Fed started tapering bond purchases by exactly the same amount that we all expected, which to your point earlier, they have been as predictable as can be, which is why there hasn't been a ton of market volatility. There's a couple other reasons for that, but let's just run through the piece real quick. I broke this down into three chunks because I think there's there's really three pieces that people need to remember about this particular Fed, and that's what they value. So they value flexibility over all else. They value predictability and they value patience. So when we look at the flexibility side of it, What I mean by that is they want to have the room to do this their way, and they still left themselves the room to do that yesterday. So even though they're starting the tapering program, we all expected that. They still left themselves the option, and I think they're going to exercise this option, to change the pace of it going forward. So we know what's going to happen in November. We know what's going to happen in December, but they left themselves the option to maybe accelerate it or slow it down in 2022. I think they're going to have to accelerate it. It's the only tool they have right now to control inflation. They also want the flexibility to watch the kind of stuff that they want to watch. So the market's always going to tell them, we're looking at this indicator. And the Fed says back to them, we don't care. We're looking at this one instead. So when you think about the labor market, we're going to get a big labor report tomorrow. They're looking at their own indicators, and that's what matters. Secondly, predictability. I don't think this comes as a surprise to anybody either. 
they have telegraphed for months. I mean, almost ad nauseum that they were going to start this tapering program. They're going to continue to do that. I don't think we're going to hear from them anything clear about rate hikes until the tapering program has been in place for a while. They want that to be predictable as well. I think the message yesterday was that the market got way ahead of itself. So the market had pulled rate hikes forward into June or July of next year. I agree that the market got ahead of itself. I don't think we're going to see a rate hike until at least September next year. And then lastly, patience. What I mean by this is, yes, I think they're patient people. I think they want things to move slowly and methodically, but patience in the sense that, I don't know if you guys remember when Jerome Powell a, a few years ago was talking about the lag between monetary policy changes and when that actually bakes through to the economy, they want to be patient and see what happens. I think at that point he was talking about a lag about six to 12 months. We don't really have that kind of time. So I'm guessing more like three months. He wants to see what happens with the tapering program before they start to signal rate hikes. So I think we're going to hurry up and wait for a while on rate hikes. Yeah, so that's a great rundown, Liz. We really appreciate that. You guys can find Liz's weekly report on their blog. Uh, she'll tell you where to do that on the way out here. Um, but one of the things that really struck me this week, Liz, is I went back and, you know, as the kids do today, we just Google things. And I was looking at the last time that the Fed was tapering bond purchases, okay? And it was December 18th, 2013. That happened to be Guy's birthday. I think it was like your 68th birthday, Guy. Oh. And yeah, there you go. And, and here, here was the What headline. a nice birthday present. That's right. So back in 2013, the CNBC headline said the Federal Reserve announced Wednesday it would start to taper its aggressive bond buying program. And then the little paragraph ends propelling the market to a record close. Okay, so that was in 13 when they started their taper. The stock market at that point on the year was up, I think, 22, 23 percent. Well, here we are now in 2021 and the Fed is tapering again. The stock market, the S&P 500, look at that runaway breakout. I mean, that has been going on for weeks. To your point, the predictability, we knew this was coming and the market continues to rage. It's doing the same sort of thing. What do you make of this runaway breakout in the stock market? Well, first of all, we're going to compare it to 2013. It is different. I, you, know, you kept tweeting that or your tweet just kept showing up in my feed for whatever mm. reason. But <laughs> but it is different, right? Inflation at that point was at like 1.8% or something. It was It was far below where it is now. We already had a taper tantrum, so we got that out of our system, right? This time, we didn't really need to have a taper tantrum. We're ready to take our foot off the gas a little bit. Now, if you look at, I mean, if we look at the equity market, and I know you're going to talk about the bond market later, but there hasn't been a ton of movement in the 10-year. And I don't think that there's going to be a lot of breakout movement in the 10-year for the rest of the year. I think it probably inches up slowly. When the 10-year isn't moving very much, you're not going to see a ton of pressure on the equity market. Now, the reason the 10-year isn't going to move, or at least I don't think it's going to move that much for the rest of the year, is because even though the Fed is buying less, so, so they're effectively flooding the market with supply, or at least taking some of the demand away, the treasury is also issuing less. So there's this offsetting factor that's going to prevent a ton of volatility. But in the equity market, I mean, we've been driven to this point by a dovish Fed. They came out yesterday and stayed reasonably dovish and predictable. And we know that equity markets hate unpredictability. So the market got what it wanted. It heard what it needed to. It realized that maybe it got a little ahead of itself on rates. And that's the thing that would push it back down. So I think we're in a, an okay place in the equity market. I've said this before. I think I talked about this on Monday, Dan, with you on, on trading spaces. But 
tech is probably not going to be the thing that drives us to the next new high. So it's everything else in the index that has to work a little bit harder. And at smaller weights, they have to work that much harder. But breadth is healthy. I think there's strong fundamentals underneath us now with that third quarter earnings season all but under our belt. We're in good shape. And Liz, this is what's interesting to me. It's been in the form of the small cap, the Russell, the RTY, the RUT, IWM, whatever you look at. But this has been trading sideways effectively since that breakout late last year. It's been trading sideways since February. We seem to be breaking out again. That would be, in my opinion, suggested that the market thinks the economy is going to strengthen, these being the most economically sensitive names. Yeah, I mean, I love a small cap. And I had been calling small caps. I'd been talking about it on CNBC for a while. You're never wrong. You're just early. So I was early for a while. And now we've finally broken out. I think small caps are going to have their day in the sun. They Number one, they're the only major asset class that has outperformed inflation every decade uh, over history. So that's a positive in their corner because I don't think inflation is going anywhere anytime soon. And number two, they are economically sensitive and they're the things that should do well in an expansion. So as long as the Fed doesn't make a huge mistake and send us backwards, small caps have a lot of room to move up here. Yeah. And you've been saying that for a while. I do catch your appearances. I mean, I think you're one of the few people that make it on every single show on the network, including <laughs> Brian Sullivan's um, what do they call that thing in the morning? Worldwide exchange or something. Worldwide I mean, you're exchange. All over the map. If you get on Shep's show, then you've got basically you've covered all your bases. So <laughs> then I've made it. Then I've really made you, it. No, you, you've, you know why you've made it? Because you're with Dan Nathan, CBW and myself <laughs> here on Market Call. That's when you know you made it. So I want to say <laughs> right. thank That's you right. once again, Liz Young. And listen, for more great content from Liz Young, and it is great, follow her on Twitter at Liz Young Strat. That's not the guitar, by the way. That means strategist for you wonks out there. And sign up for <laughs> SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com backslash daily to read Liz's articles every Thursday. Today is, in fact, Thursday. So, Liz, thank you. By the way, there is. your podcast as well. You want to sort of drop that in here as we get out of here? Yeah, I actually just recorded the third one this week. So it's called The Important Part. And it drops every month. I have a guest on this month. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna break it. I'll wait until it drops to tell you who that is. But there's two under our belt already. The last one was on crypto. It was really great. I break down a topic every single time and talk about my take on the market. Well, hopefully one day you'll have Dan, myself, and CB Dubs on. But it's probably back half of 2023. That's a lot of we'll people wait. in one. <laughs> we will wait. <laughs> Thanks, Liz Young. Thanks, now Liz. we're at the point where we bring in the great CBW. Carter, how are you, Carter Braxton, worth of Worth Trading? It is so fine to see you, sir. It's fine to see you, and I'm listening intently to this tremendous content and can't wait to weigh it. Well, let's talk about it. You heard what we were talking about. Let's take, let's take your take right off the top of the S&P 500, because here you are. Dan mentioned this is a breakaway, a runaway, a beautiful-looking chart, and quite frankly, as Dennis Gartman would say, lower left to the upper right in a very unified, uniform, uh, non-threatening patterns. Thoughts? That's right. And again, what again? What makes a breakout is not the index, it's the stocks, right? The parts compose the whole, the whole comprises the parts. If no individual securities are trading today, no trades in 3M, no trades in Apple, for some strange reason, really wide bid ask, the S&P in principle would not be moving. So, it's not the S&P that's breaking out. Individual securities that are set up at breakout junctures are breaking out. And by inference, of course, the index is. 
One thing to keep in mind is there's something called a momentum peak. When every stock or almost every stock in a position to break out has broken out, you've consumed a lot of the fuel that has caused the breakout, leaving less fuel to burn to go higher. I like that. You know, I remember like I'm an elephant, which apparently those are animals that have tremendous memories. And I do remember this. It was it was late spring, early summer of this year. And you came on CNBC's Fast Money and you said, I'm here to break some news. Interest rates are going lower. And 10-year yields went from, I think, about 155 down to 1.14 in a straight line. And then you actually came back and said, that move has exhausted itself. We're probably headed back. I think you feel we're in this sort of pennant formation. We've touched the uh, upper end of this downtrend, and you think we're probably going to test 13514 if I had a guess. I do. First of all, what colorful lines and how accurate and precise they are. What we know is this. Last week, 10-year yields closed at 155, and here we are post-Fed, and they're at 153, 154. Nothing to see here, nothing to do here. But more likely than not, we're headed to the lower band, the green line, than we are up and through uh, the red line. The big movement, of course, is on the two-year, and it's exactly not what people were expecting, right? Uh, that's the issue. People caught off sides thinking two-year was going to spike. Indeed, two-year collapsing, 156, now 139. So I mean, Carter, 0.39, excuse me. Yeah, 0.56, what, do you, what do you make right here of this flattening yield curve? And just listen, you know, equities are responding the exact opposite way you might think to the taper, and so are bond yields. And what is that saying to you? You've been through different cycles. You know, sometimes when the thing that you expect to happen doesn't happen, it could cause some sort of dislocation um, in, in risk assets in general. Are we getting near there? Because it does seem with the VIX now at 15, or it just pierced 15 to the downside, um, that things are a bit complacent. We seem to be pretty happy about what Guy would call a Goldilocks situation here, maybe. Right. So oh, two things. One thing about analogs, we're trying to compare a current period to a past period. Uh, in the case of rates with negative real interest rates, I think this is unlike any other period. And so uh, a moment of tapering, I don't think you can point to this one and compare it to another, despite the tendency to want to do that. Uh, but in terms of complacency, there's no doubt, right? VIX is uh, low, uh, uh, equities in general on an autopilot. And equities have pulled off an impressive series of rotations. Whenever one player is tired, Russell 2000 leading the way in January, February, March, then it goes sideways for seven, eight months as big tech comes back to life. Then all of a sudden cyclicals, then it's back to semis. Um, you know, almost a perfect uh, levitation act. At some point though, and, and this is the issue, you have a fully exploited market. I love that fully exploited market. Well, you know who's been exploiting himself in Twitter recently has been Dan Nathan. I know, Carter, you, you've joined the Twitter franchise and you're great at it. But Dan, Dan, what do they call it when you like uh, post tweet or copy tweet or subtweet or something tweet? But you've been on fire. This is your work from home is dead. This is your Niedermeyer market, Dan Nathan. And you know what? It's getting some traction. Can you speak to it? Yeah, you know what the need of market. Uh, listen, listen, this got really simple. I was sitting in my chair. This is the very chair I'm sitting in right now. This was like the other day and I was getting ready for fast money. I'm sitting there staring at my screens and I'm like looking at all the devastation specifically because of Chegg, right? The school from home name. It was down 
50% in one day. It lost 50, you know, like half of its value, $5 mm-hmm. billion dollars in yep. market cap. And then I was like, oh, you know, Zoom did that over a course of like six to nine months. Peloton has done that. Zillow was down a lot that day, also down 50% from its highs. And then you could just keep on going, right? So it was work from home is dead in the stock market. Work out from home, flip home from home, um, trade markets from home. Look at Hood, okay, Robinhood down 50%. Pinterest down 50% pinned from home and then, you know, uh, bet on anything you want away from home. That was the pen. That thing is getting creamed today. That's also down 50%. And then shake from home, the shake shack, which, you know, is near and dear to my phone. So all of these themes that worked really well, I think in the pandemic accelerated certain behavior, the stock market saying dead, Niedermeyer dead. And this is where we just got to bring Carter in. What does it mean when you see all of these sorts of themes just getting thrown out baby with the bathwater, um, you know, in, in the stock market, despite the fact that these trends have been accelerated. It's just going to be decelerating metrics going forward, Carter. Right. So it's case by case to some extent or a large extent. The point being that stocks that benefited so much because of a circumstance are not beneficiaries now. But that's not completely the case in the sense of something like an overstock.com uh, and some other sort of clearly online type endeavors that are, are prospering. But in case, uh, in this case, let's just talk about it's one thing to gap up a little bit you often get follow through, right? Momentum or gap down. But when you reset like this, this is like you miss a a trial. Phase three didn't Mm -hmm. work and the biotech plunges. When you reset this aggressively, actually almost always there's no follow through. That markets are inefficient, but on the day of an event or a news related item like this, they, they, all market participants worldwide, open the screen where it really belongs. And it freezes and stays dead flat. And you're seeing that in CHGG. This is likely to be just right here and sit here and go flat. That is the mother of island reversals if I look at this. And I love your chart. So when I think of Chegg, for some reason, I think of a chorizo and egg sandwich. But that's just me, CBWs. But, you know, that's why I get on my Peloton, which is really important. That's the next thing we got to look at. We're looking at Peloton versus the Zoom. And this is a nice chart with really nice colors. Thank you, Carter. Presented by FactSet, by yeah. the way. Yes, the colors. Hmm. So uh, here, here's the thing. Uh, the reason the idea was to present these two together, because quite often in markets, it's not about the individual security, the business they do, the valuation they're trading at. Um, and one can say, no, no, it is. Why are these so similar? Because they're stay at home. They have nothing to do with it. There are plenty of people who are on their Peloton every day who've never been on a Zoom call in their life. And there are plenty of people on Zoom calls who are uh, hugely not into exercise and never been on a Peloton. The point is they're identical because at certain critical junctures in markets, individual securities are not being traded because of their valuation or their prospects. They're being traded on hope and fear, right? So a great run-up and an equally epic collapse, and they look like railroad tracks because at the end of the day, while they're completely different businesses, the way they are trading has nothing to do with anything other than the way they are trading. Well, let me tell you something, CBW. I know because you're a fit man that you've been on that Peloton. And I like to, from time to time, I like to cast aspersions, as they say, and get on analysts and their calls. And Goldman Sachs, I'm sort of half-baked to get into it with them. But this is our analyst call, upgrading Qualcomm. Now, the reason why I'm not going to get apoplectic here is because they did have a $168 price target. They're raising it to $194. Uh, I thought the quarter was extraordinary yesterday. I spoke to it, and I also made a case for them on valuation. Listen, Qualcomm has not been particularly great, 
But what I will tell you that's really interesting, and I think you might agree with me on this one, is the chart. You know, we got down to that 125 level a couple times, seemingly have held, and now here we are through this pennant in a meaningful way. To me, this sets us up to take out that recent high. What are your thoughts in Qualcomm? Right, so here to a, not quite as extreme as CHGG, but this is enough of a reset, not just a minor gap, but a major, that a great deal of the potential has uh, been exploited today. So I would expect actually a lot of backing and filling, and then in that sequence, a move towards the high. But here and now, for instance, if one, for whatever reason, bought yesterday, I would be inclined to sell calls against this or trim my longs, because what's not likely is an immediate follow-through. What's likely is a lot of backing and filling. Dan, Nathan, you're a uh, Peloton guy. You're also, I think you're fabulous in the technology space, and you know these companies a lot better than I, but what are your thoughts on the Qualcomm quarter and this upgrade by Goldman Sachs? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, they've been behind the eight ball. And if you look at the semi-space in general, we know that there's just a handful of names driving a lot of the performance. NVIDIA, one of them, a $600 billion market cap company. It feels like that happened overnight. You know, I remember when they were just kind of nipping at the heels of, uh, you know, AMD and, and Intel. And now literally they have a market cap that's greater than the two of those um, combined here. Um, but there's been a lot of underperformance in this space. And I think the Qualcomm uh, chart speaks to that a little bit. And listen, if that thing can't close well, and I know what Carter is going to say, it's going to fill in a big part of that gap and it better hold that downtrend, right? Because it might just be a reflex sort of action of investors looking for something that is cheap, good balance sheet, good buyback. You know, there's activists always involved in the name, that sort of thing. But if it can't um, kind of keep these gains and it fills in that gap, it's lights out. I'll just tell you this. I'm really more focused on Taiwan Semi here because I think there's a whole host of issues that are going on related to some of the supply chain um, disconnects and bottlenecks, as you will, um, and obviously some of the geopolitical things that we've been talking about. Look at that chart. I'd love to hear what Carter has to say. I mean, to the penny, as Carter would say at that 108, 109 level, it's just found support there. And I know what you're going to say. If it goes down and tests there again, it better hold because it's going to see sub 100 if it breaks. But to me, fundamentally, and from a valuation standpoint, if we can look past what's going to be a very difficult three to six months, this thing works. This is the name that I want to go to in the space. Carter, what are your thoughts here? Well, I mean, those are beautiful lines. You, you've called attention to the all-important uh, level, which is those well-defined intermediate lows at a common level. And so not all stocks break out to the upside or break down from well-defined levels. Uh, as long as we're in the middle of the range, this is, for me, a pair of twos. It's not particularly bullish. It's not particularly bearish. The truth is, it belongs here. If you can use that word belong uh, in the market, it's, it's where it belongs. It's fair price. Depends on how many people are at the table if you play a pair of twos. And by the way, Dan mentioned reflex. That's what I get when I have my chegg sandwich in the morning. I got to tell you something. If they continue to put up quarters like that, they better start selling chorizo and eggs. But you brought with you microchip which is a name we don't speak about often, CBW. I think you think this is ready for an explosive move higher. Indeed. And so uh, while it has been quite dull for the better part of 10 months, as long as the preceding condition, quite exciting, is what it is, the dullness can only be characterized as the pause that refreshes. And just as we've seen so many individual securities and the market itself, by inference, break out, one strategy is to find those that haven't and make the bet that they will. And that's my thinking here for Microchip. This segment that we came up with, and this is really CBW's baby, it's become a fan favorite. It's something we call 
trade-off. And life is a series of trade-offs. And this is a look at that graphic from Amanda Diaz. That's just beautiful. This would be the gold miners versus Bitcoin. My sense is you know who's in what corner. I'll start with you, CB Dubs, in terms of the gold miners, the GDX. Can you speak to this? Sure. So what is it? Well, it's a lot of pretty lines and one could draw them any way they want, but I've drawn a lot of them to make a point. Is that a head and shoulders bottom? You don't have to call it that, but that's what it is. Is it a break above the downtrend line? See the blue line? Yes, it is. And is an inference, uh, can it be made? Yes, that it completes itself, this pattern, by moving as high as 35. I think you play uh, miners here, and it's not nothing how well gold acts and acted post-Fed. What's very interesting, I mentioned elephants earlier. This is how this is how just good I think I am at certain things. You had a similar chart, the opposite with the U.S. dollar, similar pattern, only exactly the opposite. I would submit that the dollar is going to trade inversely to the way the GDX trades. But that's just me adding my two cents. Now, I'm going to give you to Dan Nathan's chart, which is the Bitcoin here. Speak to me, Dan, because you are. If you're not Brian Kelly, the, the no, OG, you are I'm Dan Nathan, the OOG. No, I'm like nothing, that. nothing of the sort here. And I will just say this. And I look at his uh, Carter's chart on the GDX. I see exactly what he sees. I see um, a great chart set up for a move back to that prior resistance. And so, yes, I see that. I just can't make a fundamental case for gold right now. We've been talking about that. So, you know, divorced of all that, I mean, the technical looks great and it does look like it's ready to rocket. And I'd much rather buy the GDX than the GLD um, just on a relative outperformance basis if you were to get a rally. But here's the thing, and this is why I just don't like the GLD or gold in general right here. I think every incremental dollar that might go into gold is going into Bitcoin. And look at the move that it's had here. It's made this little bit of a flag. It's kind of paused at those prior all-time highs. And it did see a 55% peak to trough decline from those highs in April. And I will tell you that I think the sentiment is very, very frothy here. But this is constructive to me. I'd love to see a back and fill to those highs from the summer, which also correspond with that rising 50-day. And I think that's a level where I think you could reload on Bitcoin playing for a monster breakout into year end. So to me, um, you know, I just think of these things and I think about the fundamentals of them, but I'm also using the technicals as an important input here. Could this thing build some steam and ricochet higher? Yes. Could it obviously kind of come in based on overly zealous um, sentiment and some other fundamental news that maybe have been uh, causing volatility in the space, no doubt about it. But I'd look between that 50-day and that 200-day. And I'd love to see, Carter, what do you think on that? Like, is, is it likely to back and fill before we'd have a breakout? Well, that's what's happening, right? In principle, before exceeding the high, you contend with it. And so having returned to a former high, a big move to a difficult level, uh, Bitcoin is backing and filling. It's worth noting that uh, Ethereum has exceeded its prior high, has broken out. Um, to some extent, there's no reason you can't like or not like both. I think on a more immediate basis, GDX is the better trade, but they're both at critical junctures and there's no reason you can't be long both. The great Meltzer Demers believes that Bitcoin will trade 100,000 by the end of the year. This is November, as you all know. That's the letter X, as I've mentioned a number of times for you commodity folks. December is Z or Z. So she doesn't have a lot of time left. We'll see if this sucker does, in fact, go up another 40,000 or so. We'll see. I'm with Carter on the GDX, by the way. I like what he's saying there. Uh, we will see what happens. But another fan favorite, uh, and I believe we're making him into the star that he should be, 
is John Butters, Dan Nathan. And he has given us once again, one for the road. Clearly, he is a Leonard Skinner fan for you folks out there that understand that. Can you speak to this, Dan Nathan, because you're not just a pretty face either. Yeah, we're the ones guy who named it one for the road, just to be very clear right here. But John Butters, who writes the Earnings Insight uh, newsletter, comes out every Friday morning from FactSet. He gives us a preview of what he's doing here. And I really like this chart right here because, listen, he's saying all 11 sectors are reporting year-over-year revenue growth in the S&P 500 led by energy. We knew that would happen on a year-over-year basis. Um, we're getting a massive increase. And we know that how depressed it was um, last year in 2020. Materials up 31%, communication services up 20%. So if the S&P 500 is reporting revenue growth of nearly 17% in Q3 earnings period, it's going to be the highest, um, you know, that we've had since FactSet's been recording it um, in 2008 here. So to me, listen, this all makes sense. And I think what we're going to be dealing with going forward for the next few quarters is going to be the deceleration, right, of those sorts of trends. And how does markets, how do they take that? How do investors want to value that right and so we've seen that in some of the areas that we just talked about earlier all those from home sorts of names that deceleration has not proved to be favorable to valuations especially if we don't see some sort of meaningful reacceleration in the not so distant future so carter you're not just a pretty face you're not just a technician either you actually were fundamental and al- an analyst very easy for me to say back in the day and and when you see a slide like this can the market exhaust itself on Obviously, what is very good revenue growth of almost 17% for the third quarter of 2021? Well, that's just it. It gets to, at certain moments in time, comps, carnivals are easy. And at certain points, they're difficult. And we know that while it's been easy, for the obvious reasons, COVID comps, at some point, it gets hard. And there are such things as peak margins, peak momentum in a stock or currency or commodity, as well as peak revenues, at least on an intermediate basis. My mind goes in that direction when I see a chart and statistics like this, that it's it's all full. VIX is saying that. It's pretty amazing how quickly 30 minutes goes by. It goes by in like, well, 30 minutes. So it's time. It is that time that we need to say goodbye. But I want to thank our guests. I want to thank Liz Young for joining us from SoFi. Liz does an amazing job. And CBW You know him as Carter Braxtonworth. I know him as my friend. If you like the financial data and earnings content shared during the market call, please subscribe to FactSet's Insight blog at insight.factset.com to access more great content. Today's episode of Market Call, Dan Carter, was brought to you by our presenting sponsors and their three. FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right. All in one app. I like that. And open exchange, Dan, because they manage virtual meetings that what? That matter, guy, Dami. Yeah, you're disgusted with me, but they do matter. And I'll see you next <laughs> Thursday at 11 a.m. Adios. Thanks, everyone.